All right. Peace, peace, peace. Peace, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Happy New Year. Happy New Year and welcome back to the Piper Carter podcast. You're listening to Piper Carter. I'm going to um, go ahead and get the comment section going right away. Let me see. Do I want to dismiss this? I can't see what this says. Let me see what this says here. I think I want to dismiss. Yes. Okay. Boom. Get rid of some of these things that are on this screen so I don't get distracted. So what's up, everybody? Happy New Year. It's been a minute, right? I haven't uh, been online in, I don't know. Well, I was online for New Year's, but haven't been on my channel for like a while. I'm doing a simulcast on Detroit is Different. So, you know, shouts out to uh, everyone in Detroit and beyond. I'm just going to give it a second. Um, let me see. Oh, goodness. Let me try again. All right. Boom. So, welcome, welcome, welcome back. Uh, you're listening to the Piper Carter podcast. I'm your host, Piper Carter. Uh, happy New Year. You know, we got a chance to see one another. Um, when did we see one another? For the um, state of Black Detroit. Like, who's afraid of the state of Black Detroit? I wonder, did y'all get a chance to check out the state of Black Detroit? If you haven't, um, please check those out. They're on, uh, all, all the videos are on the um, Detroit is Different uh, YouTube channel. You got some great, great, great commentary from people like myself, but then also... Um, you know, Yusuf Bunchy Shakur was a host. Shouts out to uh, Kari Way Frazier, the proprietor of Detroit is Different, um, and just a host of others. So, um, speaking on various issues that are really important to us in Detroit. So, um, do, 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 do. I'm kind of chilly. That's why I got on like a sweater. I got on like a scarf i'm gonna have to work on the lighting in here i just got in here so i apologize if the lighting is looking a little hood shtizzle um because i just threw on the lights so they're not designed at all tonight and i hope that you can see me is it dark because this um gives me a little bit lighter than what it should be so i'm not sure mm -hmm. drinking my ginger tea wow that is spicy. I made ginger tea with real ginger. And it's kicking in right now. So come on in, come on in. Three minutes after. Why don't I go ahead and get started? All right. So if you're new here, my name is Piper Carter. I'm one of the hosts on the Detroit is Different podcast network. So before I get started, I just want to um, ask folks to go ahead and like, share, and subscribe. Whether you're listening on the Detroit is Different um, channel or whether you're listening on my channel, um, I did not connect us to the Instagrams today, but moving forward, I will connect us to the Instagrams. Um, and if you're wondering what my channel is about, you know, I talk a lot about environmental justice, um, feminism, hip hop, and all those cross sections. So if that's what you want to hear about, then you're in the right place. All right, boom. So, uh, I wanted to, you know, it's been a lot of talk. I don't know. 
that interview with Shannon Sharp on Club Shay Shay, it went extra viral, as we know. It's only been a week. Today, Cat Williams did another sit down with Willie D. It was meh, but um, I feel like he think he was trying to clear some things up. Um, and before I get started cooking, I just want to give a, uh, it's not even a disclaimer. Like, I just want to let y'all know. Um, I don't know Cat Williams. I don't have any connection or relationship to him. I've never met him. Um, I've watched his stand up. His, you know, people say he's like one of the greatest of all time. I don't agree with that. Um, and just to out myself, I'm a Richard Pryor girl, George Carlin. And I used to really love Dave Chappelle before he started going off the rails. And by the way, I did watch the Dave Chappelle special that came on. Was it like after? Anyway, I think I watched it after Club Shay Shay. And I thought that was meh as well. I want to say that, um, you know, people say that Cat Williams like so funny. I've watched most of Cat Williams specials. I can't say I've seen every single one, but I've definitely seen more than half. And there are, some are better than others, but I've never like, com like completely like sat through and then, oh, like my side was hurting. Maybe one or two jokes in each one. Maybe it's me. Um, people have said, well, what type of humor do you like? I like witty humor, satire, um, political humor. And, um, and I had a conversation with a comrade before this that was like, you know, it, in essence, like it's unfair to kind of judge comedy in that way. So I just want to say that um, for me, what I really love about um, Richard Pryor, right? Because for me, he's the top. I also love, like I said, George Carlin. But what I love about Richard Pryor um, is that while he may have had some lowbrow or even raunchy jokes, he, um, had his humor, like he was so funny that he was just, that he was just funny. You know, he's got a lot of jokes where, um, he's just talking about scenarios or he's just acting things out. Like some of the ones where he talks about just like being in the woods with his dad, super funny. Um, I think he's able to convey, you know, simple things as humorous. And I'm not saying that he is a saint, right? I'm saying that what I do appreciate is that while he's able to connect with the audience with anecdotes that are relatable or you know cultural memes and norms that you know black community would know about and he did come up in a time when um you know right i'd say at the black power movement and beyond where you know we really needed to uh, 
I'd say be more realistic, right? So the 70s in and of itself was a period of realism. And what I mean by that, even all the horror was super realistic, you know, just media in general just went into this realm of like reality, right? Um, and, you know, we're coming out of the uh, civil rights era. And so, you know, you think about media or comedy and things that were presented to the world in like um, the 50s, right? Or the 60s. And, um, you know, it's still this whole like family values type of comedy, right? And then when things are kind of edgy, um, they're not really presented in like that public of a venue, right? That might be like at the club. So you, so it was age appropriate. And so you would have heard about it, right? Um, and, you know, I can appreciate like a red fox, right? You know, um, rest in peace, rise in power to, you know, these greats. Um, and I understand that Cat Williams kind of comes out of that tradition, as well as like a Lenny Bruce, right? Who arguably was, you know, made his whole career one intentionally being offensive. And I would probably argue that Cat Williams probably intends to offend. Um, I think that's his comedic style. Um, some of the specifics around Cat Williams in terms of his style, I would say that I don't really connect with is, you know, the ways in which he portrays himself as the person who really cares about people and women, but yet and still consistently um, his comedy doesn't reflect that. You know what I'm saying? So um, I could kind of go all over the place. I've written like a lot of different points that I definitely wanted to cover. And so um, I think I want to just like go to like a couple of my points that I outlined here. And again, this is just just a little outline. Um, and the only reason that I, you know, could have outlined it so I wouldn't go completely, you know what I'm saying, like off the rails. So uh, let me see. Um, let me see what I have here. Uh, some of these, I think some of these notes might have like disappeared or whatever, but it's okay. Let me just go over here to join. Oh, because I'm not connected to the Wi-Fi. Let me see. Can I get on this Wi-Fi? Um, well, I'll use this Wi-Fi here. All right, boom. So also to shout out to everyone who joined me, everyone who's listening with me. I appreciate you for listening. Um, I'm going to use my phone because for some reason my computer is not connecting to the internet. Um, so yeah. All right, boom. Okay. Let me go back up here to the top. So, um, again, you know, Cat Williams is known, you know, his comedy is what is like super edgy, um, and intentionally controversial. Um, and we know that he, you know, in the past has been 
I want to say a person of of uh, of uh, flexible. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm trying to say? Personality, right? Like I don't know if y'all know about in 2012 when he um, got into the little tiffy jiffy. I think it was maybe was it was Denver or someplace, and uh, he spit on the audience member and jumped off the stage and ended the show like you know only after half hour and people wanted their money back you know i guess he had some sort of meltdown i don't know meltdown might be offensive term i'm not sure is meltdown an offensive term Mm -hmm. but um so we know about that um because he got heckled um what else did i want to say so i think in his comedy you know we get a chance to hear about a lot of his beliefs and i think i wanted to center oh before i go there let me make sure i say this because my friend said to make sure i say this that cat williams is a person who in the material world in real life actually in his community in dayton and i think cincinnati actually um you know, does a lot of community work and supports a lot of community people through um, supporting various projects and donating and this kind of thing. So I said that before I go 10 toes down. But um, so with that, you know, we get to hear about a lot of his beliefs. Something I, I think is interesting is how he talks about how he was raised in this very religious or strictly religious household that he couldn't tolerate um but yet and still we gotta tolerate (laughs) his you know religious beliefs i don't know if you notice like every time he does says something disrespectful he like credits his relationship with god which i think i don't know for me that's blasphemy like every time you're disrespectful then it's like oh because i knew that I was a child of God and I knew I had the closest relationship to God than anyone else and I was special and all these things and any hootie rooty tootie I just it's just interesting um but we know that right like in comedy like you know comedians use humor um to like push boundaries and that can be offensive right and controversial depends on who you intend to offend and he does have a lot of political humor um and i'd say he does portray himself as a person who is on the side like of the people right um this is from i'd say from his perspective what he tries to portray and um so i say like that doesn't necessarily in and of itself like it you know mean that he is a misogynist right um, but what I would like to do is do some examination because I want to ask the question, is he a misogynist or is his, d- does his humor hold misogynistic, um, tropes and stereotypes that are harmful? And it's not about like Pat Williams in and of himself, right? Like per se, I would say maybe bring it zoom it out a bit and ask about comedy because i have this conversation with comedians all the time about massage mm-hmm. they're just questions 
So, you know, I know comedians exaggerate stereotypes because they want to make a point, but I question whether exaggerating, consistently exaggerating stereotypes, are we like revealing that these stereotypes exist or are we continuing to perpetuate these stereotypes, right? Um, we, right, comedians. Um, so I know that, you know, a lot of his humor is to provoke laughter. Um, and like I said, to highlight different societal issues. So, and as I spoke with my mentee who let, who reminded me that the point of comedy is to entertain. So I'm trying to figure out is, are folks entertained by misogyny? Like, is that entertaining? I'm not sure. I'm not. So that's why I'm asking the question. Um, and it's also important to remember that comedy is subjective, right? So um, what one person might find offensive, another person might find funny, right? Like Dave Chappelle, for instance, punching down on people with disabilities. Is it humor to make fun of people with disabilities? Is it humorous? Or is there was there like a point that was being illuminated? Um, where you was he like trying to make people aware of you know people with disabilities? Um, or was it, I would argue that he was trying to get some cheap jokes, right? Like, um, and the same thing with Cat Williams. I don't know if y'all remember the one special, was it, which Pimp Chronicles was it? Anyway, the one with the green. And he did the one joke and um, about the little Mexican girl and he was skipping. Like he said she had on a little dress and her sneakers. And in the joke, he called her a, a bitch. And so... You know, I know that comedians use this language or whatever, but I didn't find that funny. And I'll tell you why. Um, and maybe it's too much. You know, maybe I've been this person all this time. That's like too much. Everyone says, oh, it's too much, too much. Uh, I don't like the idea of normalizing calling children bitches, you know, um, or hoes or nigga. Like to me, it's not funny and um to me it it's not humorous like it act to me it actually in, in the real world perpetuates um some of these attitudes like the normalization of like calling a child a bitch you know what i'm saying uh maybe you agree maybe you maybe you agree maybe you disagree i'm not sure um so those were like my a couple of my my points um <clears throat> and i wanted to maybe like explore like some of his statements and interviews right where he discusses um his comedic intent so i don't know did y'all see the willie d today if you saw the willie d you know let me know like i said i thought it was just like so so but i think while Willie D did try to probe him a little more. I give it to Willie D. He did try to probe him a little more. Um, more or less, Cat Williams really just gave the same interview. He may have gone a little bit 
deeper into a couple of places and slightly different in other spaces. But, um, but for the most part, I think that it was pretty much the same interview. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, I feel like he shouldn't have done a follow-up interview like so soon. I feel like it was too soon. I feel like he should have waited like maybe a little bit because I mean it's been a week he could have let that interview cook I feel like maybe he was trying to hop on the bandwagon or get you know some of the um, wave of people that were you know off that whole thing but I do think that all in all he probably should have waited um, maybe like another week because I feel like that interview was so hot it could have cooked another week and he could have let people do their thing and then you know really let people linger on wanting to like hear from Kat like maybe that's just me and a little bit of thinking about um, media but um, and then I wanted to talk about the interview a little bit like where, like some of the statements that Kat was saying I feel like I told people this a little bit I'm like I call Kat um, peace being frank I call Cap uh, with Cat Williams like some of the things he said like I call Cap about that reading of 3,000 books per year I think that was satirical humor I don't think that he read no 3,000 books a year when he went on to uh, Willie D he changed the number to 10,000 books by the time he was 12 so mm, I think he probably been telling that to himself since he was 12 and um, just kept it going but you know do I doubt that he was great at reading I don't know maybe he was who knows um, and for whatever reason he created that reality or scenario for himself so that that could give him you know some level of um I don't know, esteem, possibly, or respect. Um, hmm. I think his, I think also, too, something that kind of annoyed me, and it's just about, I, I feel like, well, it wasn't really annoying. Like, I honor and respect that he said he's got a special coming up. I don't know what he did say, May or March, and he's trying to sell his special. I get that. So this for me was probably like some sort of rollout where he was like, yeah, I'm going to, um, you know, go on this podcast and everyone, you know, going to get some excitement so I can sell these tickets. So I get that. Like, I don't, you know, I, I respect the hustle. Um, but I guess I kind of look at it like the color purple thing. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. But just like with the color purple movie, right? I call I don't I won't say I call Cap with Taraji, but I will say that in her rounds of talking about pay inequality, I don't accept that that was brought up um, because she cares about people. I don't, I don't, I call Cap that that was brought up because, oh, I'm trying to, you know, look out for the ones who come after me, right? Because Monique said the same thing. Um, 
And I don't know what happened or, you know, there's something funky in the fish, but the whole rollout for that film is around like, you know, oh, Taraji wasn't paid well. And I don't know if you saw Oprah's clapback and was like, I don't know what you want me to do. I, um, I'm just a producer. So, you know, but we all know that if the film went well, that Oprah gets to claim, yeah, I was the producer. And, you know, but doesn't want to be like, you know, uh, <laughs> accept the accountability like I'm the producer when it's like, oh, there was like no food and, you know, all the, all the other, you know, you weren't paid well, you didn't, you know, you're driving your own car, like all the things that Taraji was um, highlighting, right? The, 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 the ways in which they were not taken care of um, on that set. And I'm saying that to say that the whole talk about the film is about that. So I wonder, and I know like my family went to see the film. I know some people went to see the film, but I wonder after New Year's or even after Christmas, you know, we're like that rollout was terrible. I wonder where people even, I wonder did they lose money or. <laughs> oh. But any hootie rooty tootie. I was equating those things because I feel like the same thing with um, with Cat. I feel like Cat says that he is doing things for people, right? So he's on there bragging, right? Like, look what all I did for these other comedians. Look what I did for these people. Look at me, I've adopted children. I'm so great. Why wouldn't I adopt children that aren't even mine? Um, and it'd be one thing if he said it once, but it's like, he keeps saying it like in every interview, which makes me look a little side-eyed. And also too, he keeps saying like, how he helped all these women and put people on his shows and how much he cares about women. But what I, struggle with when he says he cares about women I'm like you say you care about women but and maybe he was being satirical or whatever and I know we're in 2024 and people refer to themselves and others as bitches but when he said oh you know the proof that I care about women because I have satin pillowcases for the bitches or their hair when they come and they and the bitch's hair can can you know she can be comfortable that she can lay on a satin pillowcase that proves that I care about women. I don't know that annoyed me like so much and also too you know his whole persona that he came out on is around being a pimp and I just I find that harmful. I find like the whole pimp persona to be harmful um you know we've seen the diddy explosion and the epstein explosion and the weinstein explosion like i just find all of the normalization of these types of personas to be harmful because they perpetuate the normalization of these personas that's what i think i don't think it's just entertainment also too 
I call Cap because um, Cat Williams was bragging about, oh, I rewrote my, my piece. I rewrote my role for Friday After Next. And he was like, oh, you know, I redid it because it was going to be a rape scene and rape is never funny. Now, I agree. There's nothing funny about rape. And the reason I call Cap is because the entire role of Terry Crews was a person who was released from prison and was looking to rape people. Like that was the one dimensional character. And when he went into the bathroom, he did sexually assault Money Mike, Cat Williams' character was sexually assaulted in the bathroom. That's sexual assault. He was literally fighting for his life. Okay, yeah, we didn't see like an actual penis penetrate any orifice, but it's still traumatizing that someone that's bigger than you and stronger than you and you're in the bathroom in a vulnerable state, you're going to relieve yourself and they come in the bathroom and you know, overpower you. And, you know, he saw the vice grip on the toilet. He thought quickly and, you know, grabbed him as like some sort of survival thing. But my thing is like, maybe that was an inside joke because not joke. Maybe that was some sort of inside thing between him and Cube. I'm not sure because I want, because, you know, in Cube's response, Cube seemed very humble in his response. I don't know if that humility, it had a tinge of a feeling that that humility was around like the statement that Kat made around rape isn't funny. So maybe it was that Kat was like, yo, rape's not funny. I don't think this should be in here at all. They went back and forth and then they took out you know, the most advanced version of that scene, but they kept those parts. I don't know, maybe that's what happened. But I do want to say that for all that Cat Williams was talking about, Money Mike was sexually assaulted in the bathroom. And let me say that I had not seen Friday After Next, and I had not wanted to see Friday After Next. And the only reason I watched that film was because of this interview the one with Shannon Sharp and um it was a waste of my life's force energy to be honest um the first Friday I'm not gonna hold y'all the first Friday y'all gonna say oh pipe you're a hater but I, I still think that the joke first Friday were meh some of them a couple of them were super funny but a lot of them were just meh. It was silliness, goofiness, and that I'm not into like goofy humor like that. That's just not, I'm not into goofy ass humor. I'm just not. And a lot of the movie was just on some goofy stuff. You know, it was just goofy. Um, yeah, it's a classic, you know. A lot of people um, launched their careers off of it. Shouts to Ice Cube for making an independent production so all of that stuff that people you know want to praise black people for but for all it's worth I mean it's a whole nother stream but 
Ice Cube's a capitalist. You know what I'm saying? And his, we could dig into his music, and he was a part of NWA that arguably was one of the groups that like supported ushering in this whole wave of overt misogyny, you know, and violence towards women, um, and, and perpetuated it. And you know, well, they, I can't say that they created it, but I will say that NWA's music and even Ice Cube's music perpetuated a lot of violence towards women and here we fast forward and find out that dre was beating the brakes off of michelle was beating beat the you know uh beat the brakes you know off of d barnes and was very violent so um when we say oh it's just entertainment or it's just i don't buy it because again we're looking at hip hop. It's connected to comedy because Cat. I would argue that Cat Williams' version of comedy is intertwined with hip hop. Not only because he um, is one of those comedians who, you know, came out to a lot of um, music in his stand-up. You know, uh, uh, the you know everybody knows him from what is it, the Rick Ross, the Every Day I'm Hustling. Day I'm hustling, 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 hustling. Um, that joke. Um, arguably, who he got it from? We'll see. Uh, maybe so, maybe no. I don't know. But uh, and and many other um, hip hop artists that he, you know, incorporated into his opening and his act and things like that. So I would argue that Cat Williams is a hip hop comedian or of the deaf jam lineage of comedy of interfusing the hip-hop with the comedy and and i would argue it's a whole culture i'm gonna take y'all back in detroit we used to have a comedy club called bees comedy kitchen i used to wait tables there this was in the this was i had finished college so it's like mid 90s, early mid 90s. And um, it was an elder named B and her son. It was downtown. And all the comedians used to um, go there. I mean, Spanky, um, downtown Tony Brown. Shouts out to downtown Tony Brown. Now, you want to talk about funny? Downtown Tony Brown. Dave Chappelle, when Dave Chappelle used to tell me all the time that downtown Tony Brown was one was like the, one of the funniest comedians ever. And guess what? He was. Downtown Tony Brown was so now downtown Tony Brown had this werewolf joke about the werewolf waiting at the bus stop. And that will have your side hurting. Most of his joke, like downtown Tony Brown was arguably one of the funniest comedians on earth like top like three in the world trust me but downtown tony brown was there mike bonner used to be there um and then there were a lot of detroit comedians that were there coco shouts out to coco um a lot of comedians came through there and uh 
Shouts out to Kool-Aid. Um, I went to high school with Kool-Aid. Rest in peace, rise in power, Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid used to be, me and him were, we went to high school together. We were in the same grade, so we were in the same like social circle. And Kool-Aid, see at my high school, and if you went to a, um, a black uh, high school in the hood, <laughs> um, you were in the lunchroom and you were, well, what, what we did was we made beats with our mouth and bang on the table and rap freestyle and snap on each other. Like, and it was like a whole cultural thing of like, I guess maybe that's the origin of hip hop and comedy. But in the 80s, 86, 87, 88, 89, 90, that's what we did. And Kool-Aid was one of those people who used to get in trouble. If I'm not mistaken, I think Kool-Aid was class clown. I think he got class clown for our class in um, in our yearbook. And he was uh, one, you know, one of the top comedians here in Detroit. He passed away a couple years ago. Um, and, you know, he was battling cancer. But uh, Kool-Aid was arguably like super funny and, you know, got his start from back then and was at B's all the time. And I was a waitress there. So I got a chance to see like all the top comedians in Detroit, plus all the people who were on the rise at the time. Because I told y'all Spanky was one of the regulars there. This is before that Wild and Out, you know. It's like 94, right? 90, yeah, like 94. And uh, all the top comedians would be there. And a lot of the comedians, they would tell the same jokes. Maybe they were perfecting their jokes. Maybe, you know, I guess that's what a lot of comedians do is like they write their jokes and then they say the same jokes like every week, but they try to say them a little different because they'll land a little different. What's interesting to me, there's a lot of regulars that come to the comedy clubs. And so the comedians kind of develop, you know, like they're following because people will come to like see that comedian. What always interested me was that people would come and hear the same joke like every single week. And I remember like from those lunchroom days, yes, it's not the professional comedy club. I'm just telling you my lunchroom days, you couldn't say the same joke. Like you couldn't like get props or claps or whatever y'all call it, clout. I'm saying the same joke. Like you had to say different jokes. If you snapped and did the same joke, you either got like booed or people just didn't respect you. And it was interesting to me. Maybe that is the nature of the comedy clubs where people go to kind of practice their thing, saying the same things over and over and over. But I can say working at bees, I did used to get tired of people's jokes. <laughs> I did. I got tired of their jokes because after a while, it's like you just hear the same joke every, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or whatever days, you know, you're working there. And these comedians are coming. That's why I say downtown Tony Brown, he had a couple of jokes that he would save that he didn't do every time. 
right? I mean, so they were his regular jokes, but he didn't say them every single time you saw him. Um, but he would, you know, he had like a couple that he would do m much of the time. A lot of the other comedians would do their jokes pretty much all the time. And what, what I noticed about working at Bees, and I'm kind of giving you this because you can, I guess I'm trying to give you my credentials, <laughs> but working at Bees and getting a chance to see these people like tell these same jokes all the time and practice these same jokes all the time, something I noticed, maybe it was the culture of comedy, maybe it had something to do with the whole like creation of the death comedy jam and the BET comic view and these type of spaces. But I noticed that whereas comedians would have their style and they would create scenarios or stories and then with it, like again, you know, maybe they set up a joke and maybe their joke is full of a lot of just hard punchlines and just going boom, 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 like little, you know, mini stories within stories, or maybe some of them were like longer setups to where, you know, they would spend an extended a part of time, like connecting you to like this character. And then at the end, they'll hit you with something that would be satirical or ironic, you know. But I noticed that as time would move on, a lot of comedians were just going for like the cheap laugh or that cheap joke, you know what I'm saying? The lowbrow, goofy, you know, not witty. And it was stuff that I just felt was not funny. Like, it's not funny to me calling women bitches. Like, if you say, oh, this bitch this and this bitch that. And you know what this bitch did and this bitch did? A, like, it's not funny. It's just not funny. Um, you know, uh, all these jokes about people's weight. Oh, this fat person this and this fat person that and this fat person, fat person. It's like, that's not funny. Like telling a person who would identify as a fat person that they're fat, that's not humor. Like that's, there's nothing funny about that. Okay, you just told someone they're fat. Where's the joke? There's no, there's no humor in that. You're just relying on that same lunchroom because in the lunchroom, it was like super juvenile. You're in high school, you're children, but now you've been telling these dumbass jokes for a decade or two, and it's just the same dumb joke. One-legged this, one-eyed that. Um, some, you know, at a certain at a certain period for a while there, it was like you're so black, you're you know. Um, going in on people for being dark skin um you know going in on people for being black black this black that black 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 and it was like there's nothing funny about being black where's the joke in someone being dark skin it's not a joke it's not funny okay um someone has short hair oh bald head bitch you know ah ha 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 okay what's funny about someone having like short hair I don't understand what's funny about having short hair. So someone has no hair or short hair or their hair can't grow or 
<clears throat> making a joke about someone whose hair can't grow. Um, these aren't jokes. And even like the delivery. So arguably, like someone could say, oh, well, it's the delivery, it's the delivery. But even the delivery, like nine times out of 10, most people are just delivering an insult. They're just hurling an insult. It's not funny, it's not a joke. Um, and I'm saying that to say that while Cat Williams is better than many of the like average comedians that are out there. But I would say that he employs a lot of those cheap techniques and tactics to try to get the cheap laugh. And what I don't like about that is like I could go on a Richard Pryor record or video or whatever and it's still it lasts like it's still funny you know those cheap jokes maybe they're funny to a person who had three or four drinks um you know goes out to the club and for like that couple of little hours is having a good time but like to me the tape routine with this material it's trite it's offensive for no reason and the biggest thing it's not funny it's not funny it's just not funny the um misogyny is not funny the consistent you know um hurling insults is not funny there's no punchlines. There's no, I mean, sometimes there's a little bit of a story set up, but even at the end, it's just not funny. And um, I guess that's kind of where I wanted to center our, you know, center our conversation is around uh, the culture of comedy. Because I've had this particular conversation um with comedians and you know my arguments are and i'm gonna you know name because i had i can go off the rails but some of my arguments are normalizing disrespectful language right um so jokingly using derogatory language like even in humor can normalize and perpetuate um the disrespectful behavior right that transcends someone going to see at comedy um, and it can send a message that is acceptable to use that, that language even when you're describing individuals right so um, bringing that into the uh, culture the normalized culture of society right um, yeah peace Afro um, oh peace Akira good to see you um impacting perceptions right so language has the power to shape perceptions and attitudes so using derogatory terms even in jest can contribute to negative stereotypes and biases which can have real world consequences so for instance it's like what comes first chicken or egg you know what i'm saying um A movie that people find humorous that I don't is the movie Players Club. 
and I know Bernie Mac is in the Players Club and rest in power, you know, rise in power, Bernie Mac. I know he's supposed to be funny, you know, and Bernie Mac did have some funny jokes, but, you know, not to speak ill of the dead, but just to, I'll kind of leave it here. Let's just say that a lot of that character in that film, right? Um, in my opinion, that film in and of itself, like, I appreciate that we want to have stories of the full experience of Blackness. And I wonder if consistently making these kinds of films keeps perpetuating this culture into our culture, if that makes sense, right? So, and there are questions. I'm not trying to like point fingers or be, you know, holier than thou. But when we look at things like human trafficking that's in, and Detroit is uh, one of the capitals of human trafficking, right? If not the capital, um, you know, all of the violence, right? Like the normalization of the sexual violence, um, not just against women, but also the sexual violence against men. You understand what I'm saying? Like the ways in which laughing, like that scene, that rape scene in Players Club, like, I'm not going to lie. That was traumatizing. I couldn't take it. Even to this day, I couldn't watch it. I didn't want to watch it. I was upset that they actually like got that graphic and with it with that subject matter like it would have been enough for me to you know not have to experience that trauma you know what i'm saying um and i get it it's like oh it's entertainment i'm just wondering in I'm glad that people get their coin and are making their films and are, you know, being successful in business and media and own their companies and are doing writing and people are buying their merch and going to see their shows and they're doing films and they're producing and they're hiring other actors and we're seeing more black stories. All that part, wonderful. And or 2024, I want to understand, like, how are we elevating? How are we, like, how are we moving forward? We can have this conversation about Taraji getting her money. And even that's misogyny, right? The fact that, or massage noir, the fact that Taraji has to go on a, a tour when she's supposed to be promoting the movie which arguably takes away from the other actresses like we don't even really get to hear from any of these other actresses about their experience or their performance or their um you know their artistry or their life or we don't even get to hear anything about any of these other women that were in that film because we've got to hear about how disrespected Taraji was right um in this movie i'm gonna go to the chat because i see one of my mentors wrote something <laughs> and shouts out to mama and gia said i once thought about pursuing stand-up but i realized that most comedy is based on negative stereotypes 
and slutty kind of sexual references. A friend was performing at B's one time, so I went. I had to leave. The comedy was offensive, especially watching black comics make jokes off of black misery, etc. And I saw that the comics, black and non-black, relied on slutty sex jokes if their set wasn't going well. That's my point that I would thank you, Mama Gia. That's my point that I was saying earlier around when we'd be in the lunchroom, I want to acknowledge that we were kids. And like, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? But we were kids in the lunchroom, snapping on each other like kids do. And it was funny back then. And those same kinds of jokes are what makes up like 99.9999% of black comedy. Now, I'm talking about black comedy because for me, that's the only comedy that exists. I don't know about other people's comedy. <laughs> so maybe that, maybe I'm ignorant. The comedy I see is mostly black people and it's, it's men and women doing degrading women. It's men and women degrading women. And so, like Mama Gia was saying, that this perpetuation of these negative stereotypes, for instance, help to normalize things like police violence. Now, I'm going to get a lot of pushback about that. I know. Um, and I'm not saying... Or what I am saying, let me say what I am saying. We live in a system of white supremacy, capitalism, patriarchy, right? Where sexism and misogyny, misogynoir, like all that is, is very real. The, there are systems of oppression and there are oppressors and there are people who are put in positions of power to gatekeep and all of that. So I don't want to make it seem like all this stuff has to be on the artist. Or like all the burden has to be on the listener. I do want to acknowledge that these projects are the projects that get greenlit, right? I do want to acknowledge that there are scripts in films that are presented and, and there are people, Black or otherwise, who are in a position of power, Black and non-Black, but are in a position of power, who can say whether the script is greenlight or not. And if the script comes and it's like, oh, that needs to be, you know, in this way, because that's gonna get like more of a laugh because people laugh at that because we did research and we did these focus groups and we noticed that that's what people wanna see. I would argue that audiences in 2024 are mature enough to want to see various depictions of blackness and black realities that have previously not been seen. And that there's ways to do them that are funny, that don't perpetuate violence against women, that don't perpetuate, shoot, violence against people in general, right? Like don't perpetuate these negative stereotypes. This is not misogyny, but I would say if y'all remember when Chris Rock was doing 
all those jokes about niggas, you know, and black people where he basically was justifying or gave, you know, his audience is largely not black, is largely white and, and people that are, you know, have money and power. He's a, he's he's a person that's looked to like look at him. He represents the black community for y'all. And when he was going saying there's a difference between niggas and black folks, th- these types of jokes are very harmful because they do allow for I'm going to get so much pushback from this, but they do allow for folks to normalize like police violence against niggas who uh, don't deserve the respect of black folks, right? Um, and and just like I'm, I'm giving that example because I'm saying that I see it working as well in misogyny and massage noir, you know? Um, on purpose said cat acts like an agent with the goal to promote black self-hate. You know, it's interesting that you say that. And I want to bring up that that other joke again, because that joke, and I know it was some years ago, and I'm hoping, you know, because Kat's saying he's going to do his special in, was it May or March of this year, 2024. And I know he this is all to promote his special and things. I'm hoping that he gets rid of those kinds of jokes. I know he wants to be provocative and satirical and shocking and, you know, all these things. But that joke that he has about the little girl skipping in the laundromat and he calls her a bitch, like, that really hurt me to my core. Because I'm like, there's nothing funny about calling a child a bitch a little girl a bitch and the age that he was portraying if you remember he was skipping it's so many has on the green you know that age where you skip like that what are you five six seven like I don't, I don't want like that's not funny to me i don't want that in my humor i don't i don't want that humor that's not that's not my um it's not funny to me i'm gonna just say that's not funny to me um let me see um so i guess that leads to another point about modeling behavior right so comedians often have a significant influence on their audience when they use derogatory language and it can inadvertently encourage their audience to use similar language in their own interactions again it's, you know, maybe it's whatever to people, but I think, you know, people do repeat these things in in their family lives, you know, joking with one another um, in their work environments. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, and I guess to me, when I'm seeing like the modeling, again, it's such a normalization to where if someone it's difficult for people to even become aware of it because because it's so normalized 
right? So it's difficult to become aware of violence against women or, you know, it's, it's difficult to become aware of that stuff if it's normalized. I'm not trying to make it like it's a all or nothing. I'm just trying to offer um, an alternative viewpoint. <laughs> Drinking my ginger water. Whew. And this might be the same thing, but it reinforces harmful norms, right? So jokes that use derogatory language can reinforce harmful norms and attitudes, especially if the language is directed at marginalized or vulnerable groups. Again, um, you know, I do want to say that I get it. You know, comedy is very complex and um, it is a subjective form of expression, right? And, um, you know, Cat Williams is trying to push boundaries and he's trying to push societal norms. That's not to take away from his political humor. I, I would love to see him lean more into his political humor. Some of that stuff was hilarious. Um, some of his humor as a dad is kind of funny. Um, you know, kind of funny. Um, but again, like if we look at a Richard Pryor, he's my favorite because although he did now let's reel it back Richard Pryor was very problematic I acknowledge that in more ways than one rest in peace not to talk ill of the dead you can look up his track record with women that's not to elevate him I'm talking about his humor in this moment <laughs> but um, his humor right he was so funny that he actually was able to make you laugh off of something that was so mundane. And so, and what I want to differentiate is that a lot of these comedians have humor. Well, no, it's not funny, so it's not humor. A lot of these comedians think they're being funny when they're just hurling insults. And they think that they're doing like this nuance, like, um, mundane uh, you know jokes or mundane storytelling what's mundane is the is the humor or the lack thereof like again Richard Pryor told stories about his grandmother about his dad about him about mistakes he made about you know just the simple life where he grew up in Indiana like he made you feel like you were really there with him, right? When he would walk on the sticks and stop, you know, or he would, you know, relay what his, like a story or a moment between him and his, you know, grandparent or his parent. And granted, he had a very problematic childhood. A lot of terrible things happened to him. You know, all of that, like, again, I'm talking about his jokes and his humor. I feel that he was able to be relatable because he was such a great storyteller and because he was able to create and find humor in the mundane. And I would love to, I think the cat has this deep in him. I think Dave has it too. Dave has exhibited it. It's sad to see that um, Dave has devolved into just hurling insults at people with disabilities. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's harmful, right? 
I think that that stuff is like super harmful. Hmm. Let me see where there's some other. There were some other points. Um. Also, desensitization, right? So, continuous exposure to derogatory language, even in a comedic context, can desensitize people to its offensiveness. And over time, individuals may become less sensitive to the impact of derogatory words, making them more likely to use such language casually without considering its harm. And I think that desensitization point, uh, what we call it, sometimes we call it uh, apathy, cognitive dissonance, but in essence, it allows for the normalization of atrocious things that we should be fighting against to be accepted as like these people deserve that. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think the harmfulness of a lot of the misogynistic humor, especially the misogyny towards black women, is because we don't have equity in society when it comes to black women. Black women aren't safe, right, for the most part. Um, and I would, you know, for the most part. And so while we say, oh, well, it's just humor or whatever, it lands differently on black women who still have to navigate this world while um, unintentionally holding uh, these stereotypes. I'll tell you a story. I used to uh, do, you know, I used to be in the fashion world, you know, whatever. And um, as I was climbing the ladder, I was, um, I want to say, pioneering in a space as the first black woman. And because of that, um, people hadn't seen a black woman in those roles and often did not know how to act or behave. And because much of their experiences were where black people were in subservient roles, that was their um, default, right? Their go-to. So they would see me and tell me to go to the back. Um, you know, when, when we would travel, they would say, you know, that I couldn't get my own room. I had to share with the fellas because I was trying to be a man and do a man's job. And so oftentimes I'd be in these luxurious spaces. We were doing Vogue and Elle and Harper's Bazaar and we're in all of these exotic spaces in these amazing hotels and things. And I have to sleep in the bathtub because I don't want to get sexually assaulted, right? And when I would go to the magazine editor or the person in charge to say, hey, I got to get my own room. I'd be met with um, more or less that you black women want to be men. And basically like that you're used to um, having sex with people, whether you want to have sex with them or not. You, you, you're naturally more looser. You're naturally more 
slutty is like the <laughs> terms they would use. And so you should be used to that. And so your safety, like, it doesn't make sense that you're asking to be safe because that is not a reality for black women. Like, And they used a hip hop reference because it was at the time when Foxy Brown was out and they would make a joke and say about, you know, ill nana, make the tatas go cha-cha. But my material reality was like, I am on the crew. I'm, I'm the leader of the crew. I'm like the boss. I'm in another land. I've traveled from United States. I'm like six to eight to 10 to 12 hours time difference. I've, because I'm leading the crew, whatever country we're in, I've got to be the first one there at five and 6 a.m. every single day and be ready to work 20 hours a day. Hard manual labor, in addition to uh, making other people do their job, a lot of white men. And it's backbreaking work as well as mental lead draining because it's photography so you're constantly thinking of f-stop shutter speed and you know all those combinations that have to change all the time because the light conditions are changing and you're putting up lights and filters and color corrections and all the things in addition to the lenses and the cameras and the lighting and the this and the that the, you know all the things and I've got to make sure that the equipment is okay. I've got to make sure, you know, that all these things are in place. And when I'm done and we're all packed up, everybody gets to go to the hotel and maybe they go hang out at the disco or maybe they go to dinner. I can't do that because I got to get some sleep because I got to be back the next morning one time to do my job. And I've got to sleep in the bathtub because you put me in a room with two white men that I don't even know. And they're basically threw me in there because I'm like food. I'm supposed to be food for them. And the reason that I'm saying that I do take some of this stuff personally is because of the jokes that I would be told about this sort of sapphire Jezebel um, view of black women, the normalcy of how black women, you know, don't have agency or access to safety but for around our bodies, right? Now, that's an extreme example. That's my personal experience. I'm using it, though, as an antidote to say that there are people who suffer real world consequences because of the normalization of stereotypes in media. That doesn't take away that the studios greenlight all this stuff that, you know, these producers and things ask people to make jokes more offensive. It doesn't take away from the larger industry's culpability to, you know, shift and change. And as we move into 2024, you know, it's like, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? I've been in those meetings. And you know what they say in those meetings? 
and they say the same thing around not having black people in movies. They say the same thing around not having positive characters in films. They say the same things around not having like, you know, different kinds of hip hop. They say the same things around all the ways in which when we ask ourselves, well, why don't we have this? Or why don't more of these get funded? It's the same conversation. And they blame you, the viewer. They say it's the viewer's fault because this is what viewers want to see. Because when we did our Nielsen ratings or we did our focus group or we looked at the numbers, this is what people paid money to see. And this is what people want to go see. I'm gonna push back against that because I'm gonna say that the studios were shaking in their boots when something like a Napster came along or they had to control YouTube. They had to take control of YouTube and all these other spaces because people didn't want to be fed the same old media that they had always been fed. And I'm gonna put it on the audience and say, that a lot of my audiences are very astute people who have a, a various interests in their music, in their culture, what they want to see, entertainment. I do think that in 2024, we're tired of these stereotypes. I think they are late and tired trite I think these stand-up routines that normalize even verbal violence against women and girls I think that's not what we want to see I think people want to see more interesting stories that are full of humor that are funny I think there's ways for us to tell stories I think more of us want to see ourselves in, in different light it doesn't have to be you know, kumbaya, you know, there's ways to tell our stories where um, it's authentic, hilarious, and top quality. And another thing, when Ice Cube, I don't know if y'all went back and watched Ice Cube and he was saying how he always puts out top quality stuff. That Friday after next and the next Friday are not top quality. And honestly, my baby, neither is Friday. I think Friday is a classic because it's not top quality. <laughs> no shade. You made it. You did that. You know. But, um... I kind of said this already, but I'll just read a couple of things more that I had. Um... It's a, it has a huge impact on vulnerable groups. So, like I said, certain individuals and groups may be disproportionately affected by derogatory language. And when comedians target these groups with offensive language, it can contribute to mar further marginalization, stigmatization, and discrimination against those communities. And I will say, I kind of gave you an illustration, my personal example, but I will argue that that's what we're that is what we have been seeing in comedy black comedy up to this point mm -hmm. mm. so any hootie rooty tootie 
I had people hit me up before this stream and they were like, be careful. I'm talking about Cat Williams because, you know, everybody loves Cat Williams and he does great things for people and people love him and he's, you know, he helps all these comedians and he adopted kids and, you know, he um, takes people on tour and he pays them and he creates opportunities for people and when he comes to the city, he actually, like, you know, puts down for the city and, you know, pays for the city. I don't take any of that away from him. I, this is my charge to Cat Williams and his fans and anybody that can get at him and any other comedians that are here. My charge, my challenge is I want to see Cat Williams use his actual wit, his actual talent to have a completely funny set. I want his set that he does whenever it comes, May, March, whatever, 2024. I want his set to be so funny. I want it to be funny minus the misogyny. I do. I, I would like to see him do way more political humor. I think it's a good year to do political humor. It's a lot of winning one. I'd like to see him do a little bit more family man, father humor. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to I wanna see him dig deeper into his consciousness and dig deeper into his talent and dig deeper into um, his wit and his actual comedic um, sensibilities. I want to see him dig. I want to see him do that work. I don't want to see no more lazy comedy. I don't want to see it from Cat, and I don't want to see it from Dave either because like I said, that special that I watched after I watched the Cat interview was lazy very lazy Dave um, I just want to see I want to see these comedians do better I want to see them do better and better and better so I want to thank um, what's up Embreeze I want to thank everyone that has joined me so far I appreciate y'all for hopping on here for a quick second again my name is Piper Carter this is Piper Carter podcast happy new year everyone um my New Year's resolution, excuse me, is to be more consistent with my podcast. I admit I hadn't really been consistent. Um, my mom's passing in 2021 took a real toll on me. And um, I'm coming to terms with that in this moment. And so I took some time for myself to just, you know, come on when I could and not when I couldn't. And, um, you know, fast forward now, um, this is gonna be the third year. I'm ready to start to heal my heart. I'm ready to start to, you know, get up out the bed and, um, and be able to, you know, normalize doing some things that are good uh for me that i like doing like coming here and doing these podcasts with y'all and so um i have another podcast that i do on mondays and it's dedicated to women in hip-hop and um it's called beyond breaking barriers and that one i strictly talk about women in hip-hop so if you are on 
YouTube and you go to the Black Power Media channel, like, share, subscribe to the Black Power Media channel on Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern time. I do a podcast centered on women in hip hop called Beyond Breaking Barriers. And on Tuesdays, I have my podcast, the Piper Carter podcast. And that'll be here on YouTube. Um, I did this show here as a simulcast on Detroit is Different, but if I'm going to be talking about like international issues and national issues and stuff like that, I'm going to keep that stuff more to like my channel. But if I'm going to be centering like Detroit issues, then I'm going to do the simulcast um, on, uh, on, on the Detroit is Different channel as well. So, um, okay, cool. I'm glad it came up in your suggestions. And, you know, I'm going to do a better job at posting it to the Facebook, posting it to the Instagram, you know, this kind of thing um, so that I can build up the audiences. But I want to thank everyone thus far who has continued to support the channel. I'll continue bringing you on Piper Carter podcast, the intersections of environmental justice, hip hop and feminism. Um, And I want to say thank you to everyone who's joined all the chats. Everyone, please like, share, subscribe, let people know. Come back on over here. If you agree, if you disagree with my take on Cat Williams, let me know. I'm open. I may not change my mind, but I'm a listen. <laughs> and um, yeah, I want everyone to um, enjoy the rest of your week. And I'm going to see y'all next week. Peace. <laughs>